Well, thank you, Lori and Clara, for sharing your gift of music with us. That's a great way to start a service. Good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. And it's a beautiful Sunday morning, isn't it? We've had a number of beautiful days lately, and we get to enjoy one more. So, what a good start. Pastor Victor is going to continue today with a sermon series that we've been on for a few weeks now, Overflowing Provisions of God's Grace. And today's message is based on a portion of 1 Peter 3. And in trying to keep with that, I chose... For an opening scripture, Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17. And we use the Our Daily Bread devotional at home, so I opened it up this morning, and the scripture there was Colossians 3, 12 to 17. So if any of you use Our Daily Bread, you're going to get that passage twice this morning. So Colossians 3, 12 to 17. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the grace that you have shown us by allowing us to be your children, to be part of your family, by sending your Son, Jesus, to suffer and die on the cross in our place so that we could have forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we deserve nothing, but you have given us everything. We ask, Father, that you would help us as individuals and as a church to honor you in all that we do so that others would see you in us. Lord, help us to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, and patience. Help us to love one another and to forgive as you have forgiven us. Lord, as we have come to worship this morning, we welcome your presence and ask your blessing on our service. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Ask the ladies to lead us in singing. 
Good morning. We'll ask that you stand with us, and we'll start by singing Jesus Messiah. Continue with number 565 in the hymnals. I know that my Redeemer liveth.
You may be seated. The next song might be new for some of you, but if you know it, please sing along. It's in your bulletins as well. is 
Sorry that I left you I know you feel alone But God told me that he needed me He called me to come home In what seemed to be an instant In the twinkling of an eye An angel gently took my hand and led me toward the sky As I ascended into heaven Beyond the pearly gates Angels were then I saw his radiant face God's eyes shone down upon me From the glory of his throne He said enter into paradise Cause heaven's now your home I fought the fight I finished the race Throughout the trial, I kept my faith. No longer do I suffer. My body's been made whole. I'm flying with the angels, and heaven's now my home. God told me not to worry. He said you'd be okay Because eternity's forever And we'll meet again someday I fought the fight I finished the race Throughout the trial I kept my faith No longer do I suffer My body's been made whole I'm flying with the angels And heaven's now my home I'm flying with the angels And heaven's now my home Stand with me as we come before the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, we pause before you to remember those who have gone before us. Those who are members of this church, 
We also realize that there are others here who have lost other loved ones who tend other churches. When they are taken from us, Lord, you understand our hearts as they grieve. And there are many that are grieving. Lord, we know that grief does not just take place in one day or one week or one month. But it can be for years because we love those people so much. And yet, Heavenly Father, you have promised that you'd never leave us or forsake us. That you'd walk with us through each and every hardship. I pray for those who have lost loved ones this year and ask that your hand of comfort would be upon them. That you would draw them near to you. And Lord, through all of this, that they, their faith would be built up and their love for you would even be greater. Lord, as they reflect upon their loved ones, there also is a rejoicing that takes place because we realize, Lord, when we know you as Lord and Savior, this world is only a short mist that is here today and gone, and yet when we stand before you one day, we are with you forever. Our hearts will rejoice, and those who have gone on before us They are rejoicing before the throne. We ask you, Lord, that you'd continue to have your hand upon us as we go into the new year. We realize that there are those who are suffering. We realize also, Lord, that we will also lose loved ones this year, and maybe perhaps we will go to meet you. Lord, we just ask that as we travel this journey down here, that you'd give us the strength and the guidance. So now, Lord, we pray for each of the families and each person who have lost a loved one. May you go with them, and may you continue to have your hand upon them. And Lord, in the years to come, and the days and years to come, may we give you all the praise and glory for whatever comes, because we know it is from your hand, and you only do the things that are best for us, and one day we too will stand before you. Thank you once again for the day that you have given us, and go with us into the rest of this service. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. just like to highlight a few announcements. So our church is making preparations to have a planning session uh, about the future of our church. And we've enlisted the help of Daryl Kaler. Daryl Kaler uh, runs uh, Scope Leadership Development. Daryl is from Niverville, and he has a number of years of experience in this type of work. So we've invited Daryl to speak at our service this next Sunday, and then right after the service, he will give a short presentation. Uh, there will be a time for you to ask questions. And uh, we encourage you to take the opportunity to do that, to be here and to ask questions that you might have. And again, the intention of the workshop is to talk about the future of our church. So whether you are a member of our church or whether you are a regular attender, we encourage you to to, uh, be here next week, to uh, stay for the presentation after the service. And... um, Hopefully it's, a, it's an informative time. 
at the top of page two, um, men's Sunday school is listed for next Sunday at 10.30, but because of uh, Daryl being here and the presentation after the service, uh, there will not be a men's Sunday school. Uh, under this week at Winkler Berchtoller, uh, take note of the items that pertain to you, but the Tuesday evening uh, ministerial meeting uh, has already happened. That happened this past week, so you are not meeting again this coming week. And uh, the church, excuse me, <coughs> the church will be closed on Thursday for Remembrance Day, or the church office. I guess that means the church too, I don't know. <laughs> In the hospital, uh, Gertie Giesbrecht is there, so let's remember Gertie and her family. Our missionaries of the week are K&K, so let's continue to pray for them. And an expression of sympathy, uh, Irene Neufeld passed away on Monday. A private funeral was held, and Irene was the wife to Henry and sister to Wilma and John Friesen. So let's continue to remember that family in our prayers. Ushers, if you are ready, I would ask you to come forward. As they do that, uh, top of page three, there are still some opportunities for service in our church. A nominating committee is looking for somebody to help on the worship committee. If you can do that, please contact Eileen. Our Sunday school department is still looking for help. Um, so if you feel led to help in that way, please, uh, there's not a contact name there, but either call the church office or maybe uh, Harold Pulse, who is chair of the Education Committee. And they would love to hear from you. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and thank you, Lord, that you are God and that there is no other. You are the creator and sustainer of all that there is. All things are in your hands. Your love and your faithfulness, Lord, are unchanging, and we just thank you for that. God, we thank you for walking with us as we've come through another week. And for some, this has been a difficult week. We pray, Lord, for Henry Neufeld and his family as they mourn the passing of Henry's wife, Irene. We ask, God, that you would grant them strength and comfort for this day and for the days to come. And Lord, as we've just been reminded of others from our church who passed away, as we've just seen in the PowerPoint presentation, we've seen their pictures and, and seen their names, and we just pray for your continued peace and comfort for their loved ones as well. We pray, Lord, for those persons with health needs. We ask that you would be with Gertie Giesbrecht in the hospital. We pray also for Betty Reimer in the care home in Emerson and for others, Lord, who are dealing with health issues at home. And we ask for your healing hand upon them. God, we pray for our upcoming planning sessions. Grant wisdom to Daryl as he leads us and grant wisdom and discernment to those who will be taking part in the sessions. We thank you again for each of our missionaries and today we pray especially for Kay and Kay and their family. We pray your blessing on their work. 
Continue to grant them wisdom as they build relationships and share the gospel with those in their community. And we pray that as they do that, hearts would turn toward you. Lord, we pray for those who govern us, for wisdom and guidance for our local city councils, our provincial government, our, our new premier, and our federal government. And may they all seek your help as they lead us. Father, as Pastor Victor presents the message this morning, we ask that you would be with him as he does that. Give him the words to say and give us open hearts to hear. And as we give our offerings now, we thank you for how you have blessed us and that in return we are able to give. Father, we ask your blessing on the gifts that are given and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our scripture reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 3, starting from verse 8. 1 chapter, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another by sympathetic, love others, become passionate and humbled. Do, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must speak peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Both but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. 
Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you Good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by his by the Spirit, through whom to whom also he went and pre- preached to the, to the spirits in the prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also not the the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of, of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the re- resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and power in submission to him. Now chapter 4, Living for God. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil, human desires, but rather for the will of God. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Thank you, John. And uh, I would echo the thanks for this morning's music. Uh, We've been really encouraged by it. Thanks. Well, it was a little bit, uh, it's a little bit hard to read through that passage. And it's even harder to understand it, I think. (laughs) If you've read it this week or at any time, uh, you may have wondered what, what do all, some of these things are all about. So, uh, and I guess another thing that I could say is maybe this should have been done in two sermons, but it's going to be done in one. And uh, I'll ask you to strap on your thinking caps and walk with me, stay with me, and I think we'll, we'll find our way to the end. <clears throat> Today's passage picks up where, uh, at, at the end of Peter's explanation of what it takes to conduct oneself honorably. If you look back at chapter 2, about verse 11 or 12, verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak of you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. So what comes after that is his description of what is honorable conduct. And then he goes into submission to authority and uh, and slaves to masters, uh, wives be subject to your husbands, and husbands love your or uh, live with your wives in an understanding way. 
And the part we're getting to now in verse 8, you see, finally. So this is his last point about what it means to uh, live, to have honorable conduct. So finally, he says, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. The rest of the of this passage is an explanation, I think, of this verse. This is, uh, this is going to be one interpretation of this passage. Uh, there are others, but uh, I'll ask you to track with me this morning. This gets wrapped up in uh, the conclusion, I think, of, of the piece we're looking at is the, are the first two verses of chapter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with this way of thinking. <clears throat> Everything from the middle of chapter two to the end is is uh, to the to the end of this section is about ceasing to live for the flesh and to live according to the will of God. So well, let's see what does it mean to have unity of mind. Um, I won't spend much time on each of the uh, words in this uh, first verse, and uh, I'm sure there's lots we could say about them, but I would like to spend a little bit of time just on that first one, unity of mind. What do we know what that means? I think we all know what it does not mean. It does not mean that we agree about everything. That would be unrealistic. And we, and we know that we don't agree on many things. <clears throat> With the understanding, of course, that we are all Bible-believing Christians and have unity of mind concerning our common faith, there are many, of, many areas of disagreement among us. Uh, we don't agree on, on how much each person should put in the offering plate. We don't agree on the level of accountability that we should have with each other. Uh, we don't agree on all things covid We don't see eye to eye on what it means to submit to governing authorities. We don't agree on styles of music. We don't agree on whether we should practice foot washing. We don't agree on the best hour to meet for church. We don't see eye to eye on renting space to another church. We don't agree on the leadership structure of our church. And sometimes we don't even agree on the interpretation of our own constitution. And there are many more disagreements. But we are of the mind that we have a common commitment to Christ and to this church. And that common commitment is what keeps us together. We are committed to walk under the lordship of Jesus Christ and to abide by the decisions of this body according to the criteria that we set forth for making decisions. But sometimes, when our own preferences override the, our common commitment, we, we run into trouble. Do we have unity of mind about our relationships as fellow believers? What do we cherish more, our relationships or our preferences? If we cherish our relationships over preferences, then we can discuss any area of disagreement and then embrace each other and go for coffee. Shouldn't be a problem, right? If our relationships are first, we can discuss anything. We can disagree, and we can say, okay, we'll pick it up another day. 
and embrace and go for coffee. We should be able to do that. And I think, I think we need to learn how to do that a little better. On the other end of the disagreement spectrum are those who take offense that someone disagrees with them. Some of us are tempted to think that when someone disagrees with me, they must dislike me or think I'm stupid or, or they want to get me, they're out to get me or I, I don't belong. This thinking is just as wrong as those who would try to assert their personal preferences on everyone else. A disagreement is just a disagreement. We simply see things differently. Again, it is our common commitment to Christ and to each other that binds us. Agreement does not bring unity any more than disagreement destroys it. Common commitment brings unity. And let us have unity of mind as we walk together as Christ's body. And I think if I read verse 8 correctly, having unity of mind means the rest of those words in the verse. Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Can we do that? Of course we can. So why don't we refresh our commitment, our common commitment, to each other in this body? Unity of mind. What Peter does in the following verses is have us take a closer look at how we think. Several times you will see that he describes a common way of behavior, and then he instructs us in a contrary godly behavior. Don't do that. Rather, do this. So verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Has it ever happened to you that someone pokes you in the ribs and you want to poke them right back? I saw a few smiles. (laughs) Or somebody throws a cup of water in your face and you want to grab a pail and give them the whole load? It's a pretty natural impulse, isn't it? These, of course, are usually just in fun, most of the time. (laughs) And it's not hard to tell when it's no longer fun, and it can get nasty in a hurry. We want someone to feel what we just felt, along with a good dose of my disapproval. There, that'll teach you. This is not only a natural response when we're having fun, it's also a natural response when people do evil toward us. But Peter says, don't do that, rather do this. Rather than doing evil in return for evil, our mandate is to bless. And the reason Peter gives is it's our calling. Our calling is to bless people. Do you remember the promise that God made to Abraham when he first called him to leave his country? God said to him, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and, I, and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, 
All the families of the earth shall be blessed. God's blessing on Abraham was such that he would be a blessing to others. And this happens in several ways. First of all, Israel was a beacon of light to the nations because their worship pointed to the only true God. Secondly, Jesus descended from Israel and from Abraham and is the Savior of the world. And thirdly, those who, like Abraham, believe God are his descendants by faith. That's us. And our witness to the world is also the continuing blessing of God to, on Abraham to bless all the families of the earth. Our calling is to bless because it, it is God's will to bless all people or all families. And it is God's will that we should receive a blessing as well. So that's the first adjustment to our thinking. Don't retaliate. Don't repay evil for evil. Rather, bless. Peter supports that adjustment to our thinking with the words of Psalm 34, which he quotes. Quotes verses uh, 12 to 16, I think. But verse 10 here in this passage, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. The formula here is pretty simple. The challenge is not understanding what we've read. The challenge is doing it. What do we need to do? Speak no evil, do no evil. Rather, we ought to do good, seek peace, and pursue it. This is another adjustment to our thinking. The first one had to do with my response to someone else's actions against me or toward me. And this one has to do with our actions toward other people. It is easy for us to think... Excuse me, I've lost my place. Not only am I to speak or do no evil, I must also go the second mile and ensure that there is peace between me and my brother. It's easy for us to think that if I intend no harm to my brother, that, I, that I've done my part and there's no more for me to do. Why do I have to go out of my way to see if everything's okay? The problem with this way of thinking is it, is it attempts to get away from our responsibility of pursuing peace. We need to bear in mind that misunderstanding is a constant threat to our relationships, isn't it? Often we deal with misunderstanding. It may be that my brother has misunderstood me in some way, even while I'm completely clean in my intentions. And we can tell when things are not quite right in relationship. We are the ones, then, who are to pursue peace. All it takes is a simple observation and a question. Something like, I sense there's a little distance between us. Is everything okay? If all of us did that from time to time, I think we would have better relationships. 
And there's also good incentive to carry out this instruction. Verse 12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Nothing is hidden from the Lord, and in that sense, his eyes are on everyone. But here he is saying something about the righteous and something about the wicked. Here it says that his eyes are on the righteous, meaning that he is paying attention to them. He is hearing their prayers. This is a stark contrast to to the way he responds to the evildoers. He's against them. So when the righteous are doing good and pursuing peace, God is in their court. He's on their team. He is their helper. This is a second adjustment to our thinking. Speak no evil, do no evil. Rather, do good. Seek peace. Pursue it. And then the Lord is going to be with us. His eyes will be on us and he'll hear our prayers. There's a gradual progression here in Peter's thoughts. First, how we ought to respond when we suffer evil from others. Second, how we are to treat others. And third, how we're to treat others when we suffer evil. So here's the third one. Starting at verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous to do what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear or be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Peter's assurance here is that even if we should suffer for doing what is good and right, we will be blessed. Again, the analogy of childbirth paints the picture. If there's a promise of blessing for going through a trial, doesn't that give us the courage to power through? Of course, I don't speak from that experience, but I know that a man is willing to endure quite a bit of hardship if he knows there's a reward at the end. Farming would be a good example. Farmer works all spring and summer long for the reward of the harvest. And so this is the uh, third adjustment to our thinking. Do not fear or be troubled. Rather, honor Christ as Lord. And how do we do that? Well, the answer is right there in front of us. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. That's how we honor Christ, by being ready to do that. And this gets at the heart of something that I yearn for this body. That all of us would be knowledgeable and articulate enough to make that defense. Are we prepared? Are we preparing ourselves for the defense of our faith? I know many of us are. We honor Christ by preparing ourselves to make that defense, and we prepare ourselves by studying the Word of God and by speaking our defense to others. Do you ever tell people why you believe what you believe? 
sometimes we can get quite passionate about why I think this way. Do we get that? Do we have the confidence to do the same thing about what we believe about Christ, about our own salvation, about God's work in us? And so this is why it is important, I think, for us to be in Bible studies or in Sunday school. I won't ask you to raise your hands now, but I would be curious to know how many of us are in a Bible study group or in a in a Sunday school class of some kind, whether it's in this church or another, uh, or in the, in the community, I don't know. Uh, but if you're doing that, that's fantastic. And if you know of somebody who isn't, maybe it's time to make an invitation. Where else do we gather around the Word for reading and for discussing the Word of God to know what it's teaching us? And of course, the other thing we can do is read Scripture daily. Not just a verse or two, but a chapter or two or three. And then think about its meaning. Being prepared is the first piece. How we do it is equally important. You may recall uh, hearing about a church in the United States that would show up at the funerals of homosexuals. And they would carry placards saying things that were really hurtful and judgmental. If it's not obvious to you, then let me say, this is not a God-honoring way of making your defense. Our passage says to do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. You don't need to tell people that if they continue in their sin, whatever it is, that they will go to hell. That doesn't win anyone. And it actually doesn't, it doesn't present any defense of your faith either. What they, what you, what they need to hear is what you have. Hope. Give them the reason for the hope that we have in Jesus. With gentleness and respect. Don't forget, everyone has the right to their own thoughts and to their own choices. So whether they choose rightly or wrongly, we need to respect the right that God gave them to make those choices. So do not fear or be troubled. Rather, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now the progression that I spoke of earlier comes to its climax. First, how we ought to respond when we suffer evil. Second, how we are to treat others. Third, how to treat others when we suffer for it. And now fourth, to remember that Christ suffered to the point of death. All of this has to do with relationships. Verse 17. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit. Jesus suffered every possible injustice in his relationships with people. And he sets before us an example to follow. Jesus even experienced the full extent of human death in that his body became dead. It became separated from his spirit and his spirit departed his body. The challenge it sets before us is this. 
Do we think we've suffered too much for doing what is good? Look how far Jesus went in his suffering. Whatever the cost, let's continue to do what is good. We may also be called upon to lay down our lives for Jesus' sake in doing good and pursuing peace. Now we come to verses 19 to 22. They've been a challenge for most Bible students. And these few verses raise so many questions that one hardly knows where to begin. And I certainly won't answer them all. But I'll give you one interpretation. Christ was, so starting back and halfway through verse 18, Christ was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. On first observation, Peter simply reports of Jesus going to make a proclamation to the spirits in prison. So did Jesus go and preach to people who had died but hadn't heard of him before? Was this an after-death altar call? Some people would like to think that, but I don't think the whole of Scripture allows us to come to that conclusion. And what is meant by spirits? To whom was Jesus proclaiming? The word spirits does not indicate what kind of spirits they were, whether they were of people or of angels, whether they were of the righteous or the unrighteous. But there is a word here that gives us a bit of a clue, and that is the word prison. These spirits were in prison, And which spirits would be in prison? We don't really get from the Old Testament use of the word Sheol, we don't really get a sense of that, or it's not really spoken of as a prison. Uh, Sheol is referred to, I think, as mainly the abode of the dead, whether righteous or unrighteous. So, I mean, it could be a prison in the sense that nobody really escapes death, Other than that, um, it's not really referred to as a prison. There are two other verses that could guide our thinking here, and they're in the New Testament. In 2 Peter 2.4, it says, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. And Jude 6 says... And the angels who did not stay within their position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Based on this, spirits in prison could be fallen angels. And if this is the case, then what was Jesus proclaiming? The gospel? A way out for spirits under judgment? Again, the text doesn't tell us. But if we follow the context of Peter's thought, we might interpret it this way. That Jesus suffered, died, and rose again. That he, 
that he proclaimed his victory to the powers of darkness, and after that proclamation sat down at God's right hand. And if this interpretation is correct, including this statement would have assured the church, the suffering church, that Jesus held victory over evil in the spiritual realm as well as the physical realm, and that those whose faith is in him will also come to victory, right? If you know that the one in whom you are trusting has authority not over what you see but also everything you don't see, that assures us then that we've placed our trust in the right place. Another indicator is that these spirits are those who did not obey in the days of Noah. Well, this takes us right back to Genesis chapter 6. And if you want to turn there for a moment, we'll read a few verses. Genesis chapter 6, starting at verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And what follows is the account of the building of the ark. Now, it wouldn't make sense to refer to male humans as the sons of God while referring to female humans as the daughters of man. It seems clear that these, are, that these sons of God are not human. And given that this activity is present in the days of Noah... It appears that the spirits that disobeyed in the days of Noah are these sons of God. Not that there's any uh, escape for humans here uh, for their own sin, but this seems to confirm that the spirits in prison are indeed fallen angels. So that is the result of my study about that. Another interesting statement here is that Eight persons were brought safely through the flood in the ark that Noah built. And that this corresponds to baptism. So what does this mean? Does baptism by water save us? Eight persons were brought safely through the water. Baptism which corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Baptism is performed with water. The purpose of baptism is not the cleansing of the body, but it is a symbol of the cleansing of the inner man. The appeal to God for a good conscience could be interpreted as an appeal for cleansing upon confession of sin. 
Another interpretation could be that it is the pledge of allegiance to God and the acceptance of his cleansing by the blood of Christ for a new relationship. These are symbolized by water baptism. The waters of the flood were God's judgment on on the sins of man. The ark was God's provision to bring Noah and his family safely uh, through the waters of judgment to safety. We accept water baptism when we realize that we too have come under judgment and that faith in Jesus Christ is the only provision of escape and the means of salvation of our souls. In other words, faith is our ark to bring us through the judgment, to escape the judgment. So, we've looked at a lot of things. <laughs> it's been a bit of a heavy go. But how does this all fit together? And I hope to do that in the next minute or so. I'm going to read this passage again, uh, verses 19 to 21. And I'm going to put a bit of a Victor Engbrecht paraphrase in the middle that I hope will help us. So starting at verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed his victory to the powers of darkness, to those who disobeyed him long ago. And just as Noah was brought safely through the waters of judgment, we accept water baptism when we realize that we too have come under judgment and that faith in God is the only provision of escape. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. So let's summarize our teaching of this day. Number one, we must have unity of mind, a common commitment to Christ and to his church, to our church. And it must be characterized by sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. That's number one. Number two, we must change our thinking from retaliation to blessing, from speaking and doing evil to doing good and seeking peace from fearing our persecutors to honoring Christ by being ready to uh, prepare to give a reason for the hope that we have. And then number three, we can suffer because Christ has suffered, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. And having appealed to God for a good conscience, we will be saved because Christ rose triumphant and is seated at the right hand of God with all power, dominion, and authority. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. That is what we are able to do. Are we united in mind? Are we prepared to suffer in our bodies for doing good 
Are we done with sin? Does our common commitment to Christ and the church bind us to him and to each other, even at the cost of suffering? May our answer be a resounding yes. Let us arm ourselves with holy thinking and endure the suffering appointed for us. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we have heard today (laughs) almost a little bit more than we can carry. But as we review these scriptures, I pray that you would help us to think on them, to consider them, to prepare ourselves to give an answer for the hope that we have, to behave with honorable conduct to each other and to all those around us. Thank you, Father, that you love us and that you walk with us and that you are for us. And so it's with great courage and with great joy that we say yes to you and march on. I pray for your strength for each one who is here and for each one to be able to make the resolve, yes, I am for Jesus because he is for me. Hallowed be your name. Amen. Please turn to number 586 in your hymnal. I know not why God's wondrous grace. Please stand with us. Yes. 
bow with me for this morning's benediction, and then we'll sing the last verse. From 1 Peter 5. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.